Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Mr. Gadgets, and I listened with interest to episode 785 because it actually uh, reminded me of my roots, my technology roots, and really what got me into computers, which has been my vocation for lo these 35, 40 years uh, that I've been, actually it's more like 40 now, that I've been, uh, no, sorry, 35, 35 years that I've been uh, working with computers and making my living with uh, microcomputers most of that time. And uh, in this particular case, it was about binaural recording. Now, I didn't catch the contributor's name. I listened at double speed, and uh, I didn't quite catch his name, and so I'm not going to uh, try to uh, make a bad pronunciation of it here and and really uh, murder the pronunciation of a thing. But he was talking about binaural recording. And binaural recording is a very interesting uh, subject matter, which I've read on and off throughout the years. Uh, there's actually a, uh, a very good technical library uh, attached to the Hall family, or you know, the benefactor was a member of the Hall family, Linda Hall. Uh, and I believe, if I'm correct, she was married to uh, Donald Hall, I believe it is. Anyway, the, the original founder of Hallmark Cards. But uh, anyway, uh, the Linda Hall Library is a technical library that's right smack dab in the middle of the uh, University of Missouri Kansas City campus. Uh, and uh, I used to go there and look up things, including things about binaural recording. Uh, I remember reading this really interesting paper uh, uh, on getting rid of hiss on tape recorders uh, by uh, this guy named Dolby. Uh, and it's actually the most, the most frustrating thing about the Linden Hall Library is uh, this is all very, very early or even pre-microcomputers. Uh, and so there was no computerized system to look anything up. It was the old library index card system, the Dewey Decimal system. And uh, I would go and I would find an interesting-looking article from some magazine or a very interesting book, and I would either pull it myself from the sacks, or sometimes the librarian would have to pull it from some special sacks. And lo and behold, it would be in German, which I speak a little bit of singer's German, but uh, actually that's the only language I had any uh, formalized study in uh, in college. But my knowledge of German was nowhere near reading a highly technical article. Uh, and I found some binaural recording kinds of articles there. As this gentleman pointed out, the interesting thing about binaural recording is it does give you the phase relationships and give you an excellent uh, reproduction of the sound if you are listening on headphones, uh, listening on even earbuds, although probably you would need a really good frequency response to really get the effect, so probably a larger set of headphones would be more appropriate. Even better if you had a set of cans that was sealed with rubber caps to isolate you from the outside world, uh, rather than my preference, which is to have a set of cans that has the, uh, the foam uh, and allows uh, the outside world sound to, to get in. And binaural recording does maintain phase relationships and the differences in the, the uh, amount of sound that's reaching each of the two microphones. And really, only get the, you only get the binaural effect, though, 
if you are wearing earphones. Uh, we in the recording studio, now this is all pre-digital uh, recording, although that's how I got into computers is digital audio was coming, and I taught myself uh, everything I could find out about that and thusly learned how to program computers and have made my living ever since. Uh, we had a uh, Revox recorder, a Soother, several high-end reel-to-reel uh, recording devices, and our primary setup in our primary hall that was our recital hall at the Conservatory of Music had uh, a setup, and we actually used this also when we would go and uh, record uh, larger concerts in, in other halls that were available to us. And it used a matrix microphone rather than a binaural microphone. Uh, binaural is very interesting because you can uh, get the effect with the two mics mounted in headphones, uh, similar to what that gentleman was describing. The real serious binaural people even have like little kind of imitation heads, uh, kind of like you'd see on CSI if you watch American TV where they have the, the head made, it, made out of the ballistic gelatin and they, they test it to see you know, how they can uh, reproduce the wounds or something. It would be something similar to that. Of course, it didn't uh, matter to us uh, how accurate it was in terms of uh, how accurate a wound would be, but you would want the head to as well as possible mimic the human you know, skull uh, and, and uh, the density, but it was most important the, the shape of the ears, and you would actually place the microphones within the fake ears and then set that in the room wherever it is you wanted your particular uh, point of reference to be for the binaural recording. Uh, this because the ear itself affects the phase relationships and, and the relative uh, relationships of the amount of sound hitting each microphone. The matrix recording system did a similar kind of thing and, and was very, very similar to a binaural recording in terms of when you listen to it with headphones, you really got the effect of you were, your head was exactly in the position where the two microphones involved with the matrix recording uh, were when the recording took place. To the point that in our setup, we had a extremely large uh, tripod uh, rolling base uh, of a microphone stand that went up to approximately 10 to 12 feet, and we had a, uh, a 12 foot boom uh, counterbalanced, of course, that rode on the top of that microphone Stand. And so we would suspend the microphone for our concerts that we would record and our recitals that we would record approximately five feet above uh, and about four feet uh, away from the front of whatever stage was involved. And uh, this minimized the visual impact on the audience, uh, just a thin microphone stand. There wasn't a microphone hanging in front of the singer or in front of the piano where the pianist was playing or whatever uh, other instrument was involved and uh, gave us a good effect of a mixture of what the room sounded like, the audience, as well as picking up the entirety. Uh, and we would use this setup for the full orchestral and concert band kinds of recordings that we would do, the full concert choir with a uh, hundred some odd people. Uh, it didn't matter the size of the group. Uh, and when you listen to a recording that was made by this matrix microphone with headphones, you 
you were hanging five feet above the head, so 12 feet uh, at least, maybe 14 feet above the floor of the concert hall, and you were suspended in midair. Your your head was actually suspended in midair. So it sounded excellent. I mean, it gave you all of that effect, and you could hear people walk across the stage. The audience, when the uh, when the applause happened, the, the audience was applauding, and they were behind you when you had on headphones. And, of course, the, the performers, if we had a small group, a jazz trio or something like that, you could pick out, you could hear exactly where they were in reference to that microphone position. But the difference between that and binaural recording is it is the single-handed best single mic, uh, or single mic position. There are two mics involved, but, but a single point where those microphones were positioned, the best recording method I've ever heard on speakers to give you a similar kind of experience. It wasn't as direct and as profound as with headphones, so the audience left. You didn't get quite the effect of the audiences behind you quite as much, but it maintained phase and it maintained uh, the the reference points for how loud uh, on each side of the stereo uh, effect that you're trying to go for uh, in a way that I've never heard from any other microphone system. Now, we didn't have advanced electronics to accomplish that, but the way the matrix microphone system works is you have a single microphone. We had a Neumann, uh, ungodly expensive in the middle 70s, what I'm talking about. Uh, none of these cheaper large diaphragm, diaphragm microphones uh, existed uh, that, that exist nowadays. Uh, they were all extremely expensive and mostly German. Uh, and we had... Uh, uh, a Neumann cardioid microphone that would be positioned so that the cardioid pattern was pointed right to the center of the stage. So for the solo artist, it was right above their head and pointing straight, you know, well, not straight, but at an angle down towards them. If it was a group, it was a less oblique angle, but it was pointed to the back of the conductor's head, essentially, uh, or, or just over the back of the conductor's head. And then there was a... Uh, a figure eight microphone that was placed so the, the figure eight pattern was perpendicular, well, parallel to the front of the stage. In other words, the figure eight pattern was picking up a side to side of the figure eight and the cardioid was pointed straight ahead towards the sound source. We would then take the two signals from those microphones and we ran it through a box that had two matching transformers, and the two matching transformers were not doing any kind of impedance matching from one impedance to another. They were equal impedance, 600 to 600, which is typical of professional microphones, uh, and uh, it, it merely matrixed together the signals from the two microphones. So essentially, it was actually... Uh, a series of four transformers, I believe, that was involved, or it might have been two with special windings. I don't remember exactly, but it was inside of a metal box to minimize outside uh, influence on the transformers. And what that matrix of transformers did is it took the front microphone, the front-facing cardioid microphone, and it added that it, that was a part of both the left signal and the right signal, okay? And then it would re 
it would take the figure eight microphone signal, and in one case, that signal was passed in in phase. So those transformers were wired together so that it was the front-facing microphone, the cardioid, plus the figure eight, and that was your left channel, and then the other channel was the front-facing microphone was plus, but it, the side-to-side -side microphone, the figure eight microphone, was fed out of phase. So we reversed, essentially, other balanced microphones. If you're an audio person, you know what I mean by that. And we took the balance, and we just reversed it, so it was out of phase. And what that did, and the mathematics are very complex here, but by doing that, you literally got your left and right signal from two microphones that were right next to one another. There's no XY pointing two different directions here. There actually is one microphone with the side-to-side -side figure eight and one microphone pointing straight ahead. They're pointed on a, a custom-made uh, uh, microphone clip that would hold them in the proper positions. You always had to have the figure eight microphone positioned in such a way that the front was always to the left because that's how you would get your left and the, the rear was pointed to the right and then when you plug them in the right way into the matrix box, it would come out stereo on the other, other side, point, plug it into the Studer or the Revox, depending on what uh, kind of recorder we were using for this particular gig, and we got a stereo sound out of that that I have not seen reproduced by any pair of microphones since. Uh, didn't involve, it was all analog, there was no digital processing here, of course, but even to this day, I don't know, even in, in this day of much cheaper large diaphragm microphones, and I am amazed at how good some of the extremely inexpensive microphones nowadays sound, uh, especially compared to the thousands of dollars that that type of microphone used to cost when I initially got into this whole recording biz. Uh, if you're interested in playing around with this idea, there is actually a company that uh, I remember from those days that is still in business, and the company was called PAIA. You can still look up PAIA in the Google. Uh, you can Google PAIA. Google, it's both a noun and a verb. Uh, and you can Google PAIA. They still have a catalog. Uh, my One of my best friends from college actually put together a, uh, a equivalent of a Moog synthesizer, or at least the poor band's equivalent of a Moog synthesizer, uh, way back when from kits from PAIA. They still have a few kits that have to do with analog synthesis. So if you're a real sucker for that analog sound, there are still some nice uh, kits that they have available that are uh, along the lines of that uh, PAIA uh, analog kits that are still available. Uh, but one of the things they have is a little matrix microphone that you can build yourself that has an electronic circuit that will take two electric condensers, which is what the other gentleman was talking about for his binaural, and uh, go back and listen to that if you're interested in, in experimenting with stereo miking because his uh, technique of finding a matched pair of microphones is really, really important in, in this whole process. And in fact, PAIA has done that. It has matched the three microphone capsules. So they'll give you three mi uh, microphone capsules that are matched as far as the output 
with the equivalent input of sound pressure, and uh, it has a box that you can uh, that comes with it where you can mount those three. One, of course, facing forward, and two, one facing either direction. And then it has an electronic circuit because those aren't really balanced, and it's not as easy. Even if you had the transformers uh, to do the little matrix box trick, uh, they aren't balanced microphones, uh, and so it would be more complex to accomplish that task. And they have an electronic circuit that does that matrixing for you, and you could experiment around with this whole matrix microphone concept. I don't know of anybody who is making a figure eight microphone that is uh, as inexpensive as some of the regular large diaphragms that are available. Uh, but uh, it is a, a, as you might be able to tell, it's a, a point of interest with me. Uh, microphone techniques uh, is still something I pursue, even though I have not made my living through uh, sound reproduction or recording. Uh, low these many years, but I still have an interest in it. And since a lot of people who are uh, listening to HBR are also involved uh, as musicians or at least in recording a podcast and things like that, uh, I thought you might be interested in another microphone method, this matrix microphone method. I did look up on Wikipedia to see if there's any kind of an entry about it. I'm not sure exactly where my boss at the time in the recording studio got the information on building this. But uh, he had picked it up in some technical journal of the time as a method. It was quite expensive in terms of the microphones involved. But as I say, it gave us some superb results for stereo recording, uh, both in, and this was mostly live recording. This is all really live recording. There was no uh, laying down tracks and then uh, adding tracks to them. Unless, of course, you talked about our recording of the Moog synthesizer that was in the lab in the Russell Stover building, the RS building, which was the old Stover mansion, Russell Stover, uh, Russell Stover Candies, uh, headquartered here in Kansas City. And the old uh, RS mansion was a building that was adjacent to the main uh, music school building. And uh, up in the uh, high rafter, you know, third floor of the mansion was our electronic music lab that had a huge Moog synthesizer that was at least uh, six feet tall and anywhere from 10 to 12 feet wide. Uh, that was not very portable, of course. And so anything that we did with electronic music uh, was done uh, with multi-channel recording and laying down tracks. Because, of course, that Moog synthesizer didn't have the ability to do uh, you know, uh, multiple notes at a time, right? <laughs> Only one note at a time, and all analog uh, for the synthesis of the notes, as well as all the filtering and other kinds of effects that could be placed on it. So there's a little uh, <laughs> uh, foray into uh, you know my path and the history of recording, as well as the matrix microphone technique. Uh, my boss at the time was a guy named Jim Rossell. I'm still in periodic email contact with Jim, uh, and uh, occasionally I get an email from him about one or the other technical kind of issue. And Jim's favorite thing, and then I'll leave you to go, uh, one of the things uh, from back then was making your own speaker systems. Uh, a lot of people who had stereo you know, setups wanted to save some money, you know, students, uh, 
uh, especially, would want to save money. Uh, music students didn't exactly have all the strats in the world. And uh, so one of the ways you could save money on your speaker system was to build it yourself. And in fact, one of the major players that you would uh, buy components to build your speaker systems was a place called McGee Radio here in Kansas City. And most of, if not, I would say probably way over half, maybe even 70% of the Build Your Own Speaker articles, which would happen lots and lots in magazines of the time, would say at the conclusion of the article, uh, components for this uh, you know, speaker uh, article are available from McGee Radio, uh, and 17th and McGee, uh, 17th such and such McGee, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I think it's 17th, it might be 18th. Anyway, uh, building's still there, but of course McGee Radio has gone uh, by the wayside. But uh, build your own speakers was a big thing at the time. And one of Jim's favorite phrases about people who built their own speaker systems was, and I quote, they don't know what they want when they start, and they don't know they haven't got it when they're finished. So anyway, hope that your audio adventures are interesting. And since we did have a plea for people to uh, call in this summer and fill up the coffers uh, with uh, extra small episodes, maybe little short episodes. Do you have something uh, on the audio-wise? Uh, did you build your own speaker system back in the 70s or 80s? Uh, what was your first uh, sound system like? How did you get interested in audio? Uh, how did you get interested in computers, of course, and make your way to Linux? All those kinds of topics here. Are you sick and tired of hearing Mr. Gadget's roll on and on until he frosts the mouth and falls over backwards? Call in your own episode, or better yet, use your own microphone and record it. All right, this is Mr. Gadgets out here getting ready to record something else, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. For more information on the show and how to contribute your own shows, visit hackerpublicradio.org.